All right, thank you again for, you know, letting us borrow a little bit of time this morning to kind of take care of uh, some membership matters. And so um, just kind of own that. Jeff was approved with 99.3% of the vote, which was far higher than my first vote ever. So we're, we're very, very higher and very, very happy. Delighted to have you. So we will, um, we will actually install him at the end of this service. We'll lay hands on him. We'll pray over him. He will take vows to you. You will take vows to him. We'll do all of that at the end of the sermon. But before that, uh, again, as John kind of introduced, today's Father's Day. So those of you, happy Father's Day. Um, and like John said, we know that today is a uh, great day for many. I've been a father for 13 years now, which seems crazy to me. And my dad is still with us in this world. And so I'm thankful for Father's Day. But I know for many of you, today's a, a harder day. In fact, one of my best friends in all the world lost his dad yesterday. Uh, so I'll be going down to Georgia this week for uh, his funeral. Um, and so today's one of those weird days where it's like there's joy, but then there's also sadness. And so as a church, Romans 12, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. And both of those um, uh, emotions are proper and, and, and are right and okay. For those of you who lost your dad or didn't know your dad or, or had issues with your dad or something's happened, that's fine to today be hard and today be painful. And then those of you who... Your dad's still around and you know him and you've, or you have fond memories and remember well your dad. But for all of us, wherever we're at in those things, today on Father's Day, we should let our thoughts roll up to our Heavenly Father. Because no matter what kind of dad you may have had, if you are in Christ, now you have a perfect Father who loves you with perfect love, cares for you, listens to you. And in Zebaniah tells us, sings over you, delights in you despite our sin, despite our wickedness. This is how he regards us because of what Christ has done, his actions on behalf of us. And so now we're loved in Christ and you have all of us. If you're in Christ, you have a heavenly father. And it's that father that I want to talk about this morning as we look at Hannah's song here where she praises God for how he's worked in her life and how he's uh, worked in and is working in the world and how it will all be when Christ comes again and his kingdom is culminated in finality. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, but the purpose this morning isn't just to like look at you know, Hannah's song here in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and just for us to kind of like watch her praise God for all of these things. But this song invites us into the story and connects with our individual stories so that we too might praise God. And so this is going to be the outline this morning, just kind of jumping in right along with where Hannah's at this morning. Number one, praise God for, how, for, for his kindly rule in our lives. So number one, praise God for his kindly rule in our lives, like how he works personally in our lives. Number two, praise God for his sovereign rule over all the world. And then number three, praise God for his visible rule. And our realized joy in the kingdom that's to come. So I'll repeat those in a little while if you get, didn't get them down. But let's look at the first one. Praising God for his kindly rule in our lives. Look at verse 1 
Again, if you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 2, it's on page 225 in the black hardback Bibles that are around you somewhere. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab that one, open it up, 225, and follow along with me. It'll make a whole lot more sense if you do that. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Now, in reality, this is a prayer, all right? But historically, it's been referred to as Hannah's song because you can't help but as you read through this, see her just like full-throated exuberance and delight in rejoicing and singing this to God for who he is and how he's worked in her life. And it's the same for each one of us. And so that's why, again, number one, praise God for his kindly rule in our lives. Since we talked about last week, Hannah was a barren lady. And for years she had set all of her joy and all of her hope and all of her life on having a son. If she could just get a son, then everything would be okay. And so this craved son became to her a false functional God, Savior God, to get her out of her self-defined hell of childlessness and into her self-defined heaven of having a child. And so as we talked about last week, uh, that's what we do as well. I may not do it with a child, but we think, man, if I can just get this, if I can just achieve this, if this will just happen, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. Then everything will be okay. But it won't. None of our God replacement idols can bear the weight of expectation that we put on them. They will crumble underneath that. It's like what Augustine said in the 5th century. God, you made us for yourself. And our hearts will be restless until they rest in you. All of that other stuff is a mirage. And so like the philosopher Blaise Pascal said, there is an infinite abyss in our being that can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. And so after years of this slavery to this false functional savior, Hannah learned that there is joy to be had even when our dreams go unfulfilled, even when our desires are not met and our life is crumbling, just crumbling around us. Because we have a God of unfathomable wisdom and strength who has compassion on small, broken, sinful people. And friends, just as Hannah learned that lesson so well, we need to learn that lesson too. And God in his kindness will work in our lives to teach us that lesson. 
even if it involves rough waters. Not because he necessarily wants to put us in rough waters, but because he loves us enough to help. He wants us to stop robbing ourselves of joy by putting our hope in leaky cisterns that can't hold it and that will leave us always, always restless. And so let me just ask you, are you, are you restless today? Is your heart restless? Is your mind constant, constantly contemplating, is there purpose in this life? Is there meaning? Like, what's the point of all of this? This is God's kindly rule in your life. He's putting you in situations and circumstances so that you might ask these questions so that perhaps through the fog you might see Him like a beacon of light flashing saying, come home, find your rest. Find your rest because your rest is in me, not in things. And so is that you this morning? And come home to Christ. He's calling you. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Give your life to the one who gave his life for you. He rules kindly in our lives to draw us to himself. But then just like in the lives of his children, he deals kindly with us. Both when we're on the mountaintops and we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Even when we're in the midst of affliction and suffering and difficult days, he's not absent. He hasn't suddenly stopped being kind to us. He's still being kind to us, even in that. Because, look at verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Now, one thing to understand, Hannah is praising, like, like at this point, she has been given a son. Samuel has been born. But this song of praise is not like immediately after Samuel being born. Like one of the greatest days in her life. It's actually immediately after she's given him away into the service of the tabernacle. Let me just show it to you. Back up, like turn left in your Bible for a minute. Chapter 1, verse 21. The man Elkanah, this is her husband, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. She had made a promise that he would become like a Nazarite. He would be a priest in the tabernacle. Verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord." As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. 
And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And so this song of praise that she's singing here, this song of worship is coming not after the most joyous moment in her life, but perhaps after the most difficult moment in her life when she's had to give her child away to be raised by another. To not be in her house. And yet she comes out. And she worships. Why? Because verse 2. I keep hitting it. Because God is holy. Okay. He's perfect. He's powerful. He's to be feared and revered. He's absolutely pure. He is moral perfection. And since he is. Friends, what that means is that all of his intentions for his people is holy. So it's it's not possible for God's motive to be perverse or callous or mean. And so that means that no matter what we are going through, for the child of God, God has a purpose in it that is holy and for your good and his glory, even when we can't see how this would possibly be able to be turned around for good. Just because we don't see how he can bring good out of it doesn't mean that he can't. Somebody's like, well, what about evil? Evil is a terrible thing. And it is a horrible reality that people go through terrible, awful stuff. And circumstances and experiences. But even those can be turned to good. Because think of the cross. On the cross, you have the greatest evil that could possibly be perpetrated the slaughter of the Son of God. But as only God can do, through the greatest evil anyone could ever do, came the greatest good and joy that could ever possibly be. The salvation of souls. Of everyone who would believe. And so if God can do this, the greatest evil that the world has ever known, resulting in the greatest good that the world could ever know, then surely the evil and suffering in your life ends in some sort of good, even if we can't see it, because that's who God is. He is good and He is holy. Not only is He holy, it tells us in that same verse that He is our rock. There is no rock like our God. God is an unmovable object, both in calm waters, but also an anchor in the stormy waters that will not move, that will not shift. And so in Him, anchored in Him, we are safe and we are secure. He is there. He remains faithful and true. Friends, God is faithful to you. You can see this as you look throughout the scriptures. You can see his faithfulness and you can see it as you look in your own life in the background. How, what he's done. So this week I was, uh, periodically I will, 
don't do it all the time. Maybe some of you journal, and that's awesome. Please keep it up. It's an amazing thing. But every now and then, I will get a piece of paper, and I will just list out like everything that I'm, I'm praying. And so this week, I came across one that was dated July 8th, 2005. Right, just this long list of prayers I was praying at that time. And this is, uh, Sarah and I had only been married for not quite three years. We were living in Atlanta still. Uh, we had one child, Haley, who's three months old at the time. We were one month away from uh, quitting my job and moving to seminary so that I could, you know, go in, be, be equipped and prepared for ministry. And so there was this long list of things on this page that I was praying for, very specific things. The Lord would help us, you know, make friends and that Haley would adjust well in this shift in her life at, at a young age and just praying that God would provide, right, to help us with spiritual battles we were facing and then just practical battles like moving. I don't have a job. I need a job and I need a job that's going to have benefits and I need a job that's going to be able to be flexible because I've got school going on. I need a job that would give us vacation because Sarah's family lived in Colorado. My family lived in Georgia 10 hours away. And so just praying all of these very, very specific things. But also on that page were some long-term things, like the salvation of my children, both Haley, who had been born, and any future children that he might give us. And if the Lord willed it for them, husbands for them. And also, even praying that God would bless those people who would be the members of the church that I would plant or pastor, because we were still kind of thinking through that. So 13 years ago, I was like praying for you guys, even though you had, I didn't know you, and you didn't know me. But I got that out this week, and we were just sitting around reading through it, like uh, as a family, and I was just going through it, and it was just amazing, just over and over and over he answered this one. He answered this one. He answered this one. He redirected that one, and I'm glad he did. He answered this one. He answered this one. He answered this. He said no to this one. Praise the Lord, he said no to this one. He answered this one. He answered this one. He answered this one. Just watching, just being reminded of his faithfulness. We forget to thank him for the things that he's done, these small things that we forget about years later, but God's been faithful to us. Over and over and over and over and over. And so it was such a good reminder to me as I looked through this and just thanked him for his kindly rule in my life. How he's been kind and how he is kind to you. How he is kind to his people. There is no rock like our God. He is faithful and he is kind to his own because he's a good, good father even though he moves in mysterious ways. And I mean that the William Cowper way, not the U2 way. Tell me you have no clue what I'm talking about. And that's not right. And so, friends, don't miss God's kindly rule in your life by looking for the extraordinary. 
Sometimes we think that some, like God's saving plan is some big, crazy, extraordinary thing. God primarily works both His salvation in your life personally and globally through just the ordinary day-in, day-out walks of life. I mean, Hannah's whole... Just, I'll give you a couple examples. One we've looked at and a couple that are coming up in Samuel. Hannah's difficult relationship with Peninnah leads to the birth of Samuel. Just a very natural thing. She cries out, she prays. In a couple of chapters, we're going to see how Saul is out looking for a lost herd of donkeys. And he runs into Samuel. And that changes some things. Just normal stuff. And then we're going to see how David is taking lunch to his brothers. And he runs into Goliath. On and on and on. God works just in the ordinary means of our lives. And so don't be like, don't miss how he's ruling kindly in your life in the day in, day out by expecting only the extraordinary to be how God works. He works for your good in holiness and faithfulness, in kindness to his people. And usually you can't see it in the moment. Normally we need to get a little bit of distance before we can see it, if we're going to be able to look back and see it at all. But sometimes we get enough distance and we say, ah, that's why he was doing that. He led me to this, which led to this, which led to this, which led to this, which led to this. Thank you, God, for walking with me even through these afflictions and sufferings to bring me to this place. God rules kindly in your life even when you can't see it. He breaks the bows of the mighty and he gives feeble, he gives strength to the feeble. This is how he works. He lifts us from the mire and he sets us on even ground. And he can work kindly in your life because he is sovereign over all the world. And that's the second reason to praise him. So we praise God for his kindly rule in our lives. Secondly, we praise God for his sovereign rule over all the world. Look at verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lays the needy. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them He has set the world. Friends, God is sovereign over all the world. He is in control always. Now we look at the world and we're like, good grief, this world is spinning out of control. But no, it's not. No, it's not. God, God's in control. And God plays the long game that we just can't see because we're limited to maybe 80 years at best. Not for everybody, but average. He plays this long game that we can't see. And even when things are looking out of control, he's still in control. So let me give you just one example of how things looked globally just crazy and at times evil. But now looking back upon it, we can see how 
at least in part, we can understand how God was working in it, behind the scenes the whole time. And so, uh, Galatians 4.4 4 says that Jesus was born in the fullness of time. Okay, the fullness of time. Now, that was, you know, A.D. to B.C., right? Because it's about Jesus. And that time period, historians refer to what's going on in that time period as the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. All right, and so the peace of Rome was where, you know, you had roads, you had trade, you had immigration, you had people coming and going. The world had shrunk, travel was possible, and there was a common language, Greek. And all of these things had come together so that the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection would go forth so that people could be saved by faith alone, through by by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And so how did all these things come to pass so that the gospel could go forth and people could come to Christ? Well, they came together just through the daily decisions that lots of different people made. And so what was happening, you know, when Alexander's just going crazy and he's out conquering the entire world, what's, what's happening in that moment? On the one side, it just looks evil and it looks violent. But at the same time, behind the scenes, God's going to use that thing that he's not authoring evil, but he still is above it. It doesn't control him. He controls all. He's going to use that to establish a common language. Greek. And when Rome rises to power and establishes relative peace within its borders, I'm not talking on the borders, but inside the borders, and builds roads and aqueducts and infrastructure, what's happening? God's establishing a network by which the gospel can go out. And friends, God's doing this all the time, even though we might not can see it. Even in the craziness of this this world, I don't know what it's going to be because he's playing a long game and I'm not. I can't. But I know that he is going to use it. I know that he is going to work for good because he's holy. He's kind. He's a rock. He's sovereign. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them He he has set the world. And so praise God for His kindly rule in your own personal life. Praise God for His sovereign rule over all the earth. But like Hannah, let's not stop there. But what's number three? Praise God for His visible rule and our realized joy in the kingdom that's to come. Praise God for His visible rule and our realized joy in the kingdom that's to come. Look at verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. God is sovereign. God's the one who causes things to prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. All right, there is judgment. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. 
They don't have a king. Israel does not have a king yet. And exalt the horn of his anointed. The Hebrew word for anointed, what we put in English as anointed, the Hebrew word for that is Messiah. This is the first specific promise with the word Messiah in the Old Testament. This is the first promise of the, of the Messiah. Not the first foreshadowing you're looking forward to or, or there's coming a snake crusher, Genesis 3, but the first actual, the appointed, the anointed Messiah. And it is like this. The reason it's at the very beginning of the book of Samuel is because this is what the book of the books of Samuel are all about. Yes, Israel longs for an earthly king, and that'll be fulfilled temporarily in David. But more than that, they long for a true king in a true country. That is Hebrews 11, a heavenly one. A city whose designer and builder is God. Okay, they long for the anointed one, Messiah. That's the Hebrew word. And in Greek, the, Messiah, in Greek, the, the word for Messiah is Christ. They long for Jesus. They're longing for Jesus and His kingdom to come. And, and for them, just as when we look out, like if, if you're in Denver and you're looking west at the mountains, all those mountains look like they're just stacked one on top of the other. But then once you travel into the mountains, you realize there's some distance in between them. For people at this time, they looked at that and they could not see that there would be a distinction between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. For we now having the New Testament, we understand that distinction, but it's this second coming of Christ that they're longing for. When everything that's gone wrong in this world will be made right. Where all the sad things will come untrue and where He will reign visibly. And our joy and our hope will be complete. Where the story that God is writing across the cosmos, creation, fall of man into sin, redemption, and this coming restoration, when that story is complete and paradise is restored, return to Eden, as it were. My friends, this is coming. Prophesied even here. By this amazing woman. It's coming even in the brokenness of the world that we see around us. And we long for this day. Where believers from every nation and tribe and ethnicity and tongue and language are standing before the throne in worship of the Lamb. And there's a new heavens and there's a new earth and there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow and there's no more afflictions and there's no more suffering and there's no more evil and there's no more sin and there's no more death. Everything made right. And we are with God. And our joy and our hope is realized. This, this is coming, and all I did was just paraphrase Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It sounds familiar. The cross. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We serve a omniscient, omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful, majestic, glorious God King of the universe. And he works kindly in every single one of your lives. It's a crazy thought that God would be concerned for a broken person like me. And he works to draw you to himself and then love you as a heavenly father. And so praise him for his kindly rule in your life. And praise him that he is sovereign over all the world. And praise him for his visible rule and our realized joy that will be in the kingdom that's to come. Because it's coming, just as Hannah said. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these truths, that you are kind and good. And that you rule that way in our lives and over the world. Father, this is true of how you relate to everyone who is yours. That is, everyone who has trusted you by faith. Who have repented of their sin and believed the gospel. And received you as their personal Lord and Savior. Not on the basis of anything they've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. His perfect life in the place of our imperfect life. His undeserved death in the place of our deserved death. And His resurrection as a foretaste of our resurrections. And so, Father, for anyone in this room who has not received you in this way, who has not trusted you as their Lord and Savior... Father, cause them to do that now. Let them feel your stirring and your calling. Your wooing. And let them respond. Let them choose to repent and believe. To place their faith in you. If that's you in this room, 
I encourage you to do that now. Call out to Christ to save you. And place your faith in Him. And then God, for those of us who maybe already are believers, sink these truths into our lives of how you rule kindly and how you reverse evil and how you bend it and how it's not over you. You're over it. Because you're over all things. And you're holy in all things and good in all things and kind in all things towards your people. Help us to believe. We do believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to shift gears a little bit right now. And uh, move into a time of installing Jeff as an elder in the church. But before we do that, if you felt the pull of God in your life to trust Him by faith, after we're done this morning, please come, let's talk, okay? Or you just had questions or you're just kind of stirring with that, please, let's, let's talk. But like I said, we're going to kind of shift back to uh, shift gears and to actually, you know, installing Jeff as an elder. We've already voted on him. And so now what we want to do is officially install him. So, Jeff, if you'll go ahead and make your way down to the front. <clears throat> I'm going to take you through some vows that you are undertaking as an elder to this church. And then, church, I'm going to turn to you and take you through some vows that you are making to Jeff, and then the current elders, uh, Jeff and Steve and John and Chad and myself, we will pray over you and lay our hands on you as we officially install you as, a prop, as an elder at Providence. This is an awesome day, by the way. So glad and so excited for you to come alongside of us and shepherd this church. Jeff, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of this church contain the truth taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith and covenant, you will, on your own initiative, make known to the lead pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow? I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Providence Baptist Church? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? Have you been induced, as far as you know, with your own heart, as far as you know your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as an elder, whether personal or relative, private or public? And will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel 
in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Providence Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Amen. Now to the congregation, if the members of Providence would stand... Do you, the members of Providence Baptist Church, acknowledge and publicly receive Jeff Williams as an elder, as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God. Well, amen. Let's pray over you. Uh, if the elders would come, we'll pray over Jeff. And as they are coming, um, like I said earlier, I've known Jeff for 10 years. Um, he's seen me in good days. He's seen me in bad days. Um, I've seen him in good days and bad days. Um, and I could not be more delighted that he's going to shepherd you and lead you and teach you and love you, um, you will be very blessed by his shepherding of you. And so let's pray over you, brother. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us uh, to this day, for adding uh, another elder to our church, and Father, we pray that you would help him uh, to continue to live above reproach, help him to faithfully love his wife, uh, serving and leading her as Christ does the church, and Father, that um, as we read in First Timothy three one through three, that he would remain sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, not given to much wine, not violent. And thank you for Jeff's ability uh, to teach, and may it be used for the upbuilding of the flock for the work of ministry. Father, thank you for this man. Help Jeff to continue to manage his household well and with all dignity. We pray that he will continue to raise the children in his home to know, grow in, and love you with all their heart, mind, and soul. Father, help him to teach them to love their neighbor as themselves. Lord, we pray that he would not only teach his children, but that he will teach others 
and in that process that he will model all of these attributes for them, that he will not just speak to them, Father, but they will be evident in his life. Father, as Jeff serves you, may he never become puffed up and conceited. May he walk humbly. May he not fall into the condemnation that comes from a puffed up spirit. Father, thank you for the gift that you are giving this church in Jeff. I pray that you would anoint his ministry here and that you would compel each of us to come alongside him and serve you as you've called us to do. Father, just thank you for Jeff and Kelly and, and their family that, that you sent them here to Providence, Lord. I just want to pray First Peter 5 over Jeff, Lord. Lord, just help Jeff truly shepherd the flock of God here at Providence. We ask that you help Jeff to exercise loving and, and wise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as as you would have him to do, Lord. Lord, we ask you to help Jeff shepherd the flock eagerly, not out of greed or out of shameful gain, Lord. And we also ask that you help Jeff be an example, continue to be an example to the flock, Lord, and not domineering over it, Lord. Again, thank you for this, this great man that you have sent to be an elder here at Providence. Father, as you commanded Titus so many years ago, and now command Jeff, I ask that he would take hold of the Scriptures, that he would love your Bible, that it would direct his every step, that he would submit to it fully, and Lord, just as you've commanded all over the place, that he would take hold of it with hunger, or just as a child sitting and just consuming sweets, I pray that he would take in your scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would help him to teach well. I pray that he would confront us when we need to be confronted, that he would encourage us when we need encouragement. Lord, he would help us when we need help all from your scriptures. Father, when we need that whack over the head, Lord, I pray that he would swing true with your word, whether that is me or my brothers and sisters surrounding me today. Lord, may he teach and preach and live by your word. You have to pursue righteousness, faith, love, justice, and peace. And give, him give him wisdom in navigating the gray areas of eldering that are the hard ones. Help him to never be given to quarrels, quarrelsomeness, but kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil, 
correcting those in error with gentleness, that they may be led to repentance and come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Father, please help us as a church to receive him and view him as an elder of God. Along with all the other elders, help us as a church to listen to the elders, emulate them, follow them, and obey them as the elders seek to emulate, follow, and obey you, God. We thank you for adding another shepherd, another pastor, another elder to this congregation. And may you be glorified in him and through him as he serves you and this flock. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.